Hello, and welcome to this special pollster edition of the Texas Tribune Tribcast. We're sponsored this time by the University of Texas at Arlington, the highest producer of baccalaureate degree nurses in the state, and visit Fort Worth. Fort Worth is gaining national recognition as a tourism destination as the city emerges from the effects of COVID-19. More at fortworth.com. I'm Ross Ramsey, and I'm joined this week by Josh Blank, Research Director for the Texas Politics Project at the University of Texas at Austin, Jim Henson, Head of the Texas Politics Project and Co-Director of the Poll, and Darren Shaw, a government prof at UT Austin and the other Co-Director of the Poll. Uh, let's start with um, you know, one of the top lines in this poll, or two of the top lines, were about guns, specifically what the promoters are calling constitutional carry, where you could carry a gun anywhere in public or most places in public without a permit or license on one hand, and then police reform on the other. Um, anybody wants to jump into this? I mean, there are a bunch of, a bunch of doors to come in here. Sure. I'll, I'll, I'll jump in this door Un, <laughs> unarmed. You can unarmed beat that door down, aren't you, Josh? <laughs> well, I got to be careful when you beat doors down. Yeah. I mean, you know, this was pretty interesting. Obviously this is a super hot issue in the legislature really over the last few sessions and in particular right now. And the fact that it's sort of advancing so quickly, given that it was, you know, dead on arrival two sessions ago and sort of had a pretty inglorious ending last session. Uh, what's interesting is that, you know, most Texans don't support constitutional carry, which is what we, we knew back in 2015 when we first tested this, that during that debate, it was about whether about what kind of provisions for open carry the state would engage in. And that's when this really became a big issue was, well, why have any permits? People should be able to carry guns anywhere because of the constitution, a la constitutional carry. Overall in this poll, we found 59% of Texans in opposition to allowing anyone, any legal gun owner over the age of 21 to carry a handgun in public. And this was true among all subgroups, except for Republicans, which is not surprising given you know, the importance of the second amendment in the party. But even there, there was a huge gender gap. So 70% of GOP men support constitutional carry, but the plurality of Republican women actually oppose it. And I think sort of more interesting in the broader kind of context of, of the gun debate in Texas was you think about Santa Fe, you think about El Paso, you think about Sutherland Springs and sort of the shift that you know, leadership was making towards some of these things like background checks, which enjoy you know, a huge amount of support, including more support among Republicans than does constitutional carry. And now we're kind of proceeding towards actually loosening gun control laws when really, you know, the data in the polling doesn't indicate that that's something that Texans on the whole really want. So that, that raises the question of why a legislature would do it. I mean, you know, there, there are issues that you put in front of the Texas legislature privately and they say, I'd really rather not vote on that. But if you put them in public, you know, and they feel like they have to vote on that, a classic example was the bathroom bill a few sessions ago um, where, you know, members were telling the Speaker of the House at the time, Joe Strauss, you know, I would rather not vote on that, thank you. But if it comes to the floor, I'm going to have to vote for it because of my voters. Is guns something like that in the Texas legislature? It looks like voters, a lot of voters are against this, but the voters, legislators are, or that a lot of legislators are paying attention to do want it. Well, there's a theory in political science called issue publics. Um, they've kind of, you know, posits that people don't pay a whole lot of attention to most issues, but there's a, you know, people in different groups differentially pay attention to issues that affect them. And 
this is a classic issue, public type issue, right? Where there's a, a small group of people who are really fired up about Second Amendment issues, who, who monitor them carefully, who, uh, you know, sink money, time and energy into going after people who, um, you know, oppose them or, or restrict gun rights. And, you know, there, it's an open question as to whether they have disproportionate influence or whether, you know, legislators are right to be afraid of the power of these individuals, right? Whether it's, uh, you know, financing a primary opponent or something like that. Uh, so I, I think, you know, to Josh's point, the data are pretty clear. You know, we tested, we'll get into this, I'm sure, almost all of these issues that the legislature is kind of considering right now, and almost all of them have support. There are, there are a few that are, you know, more partisan and, and are split, but this is one of, and Josh, Jim, correct me if I'm wrong, I think it's one of the worst testing things that's now in front of the legislature, you know, in the, in the battery of, I don't know, 15 or 20 items that we tested. And so there's got to be something else going on. And I'm, I'm sort of split between uh, the sort of fear of the, of the gun lobby and constituency and the issue public out there that's really motivated by guns. In other words, that, that it's a legitimate political concern that they want to deal with versus it's another instance of the legislature taking an issue and finding the worst possible way to make it into a public policy <laughs> position and then you know expending political capital on that and i'm only somewhat facetious i, I think the the ledge has has done that on five or six different occasions in the last few cycles uh where they've taken an issue that is is at, at the worst kind of maybe split 50 50 and they've managed to take a position that there's no public support for um and so i'm, I'm a little torn as to whether this is just a misreading or whether it's you know an instance in which they're overly responsive to a particular clientele. Well, it's both, right? I yeah. mean, yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I mean, those two things, those two things are linked, and they're not exclusive. You're right, Jim. You yeah, know. I mean, we've got a you know we've got a you know a, a state where you know Republicans now are I think the Republicans in the legislature and in statewide offices are looking at the last two election cycles and looking at particularly at what happened in 2020. And they're looking forward to redistricting and to a midterm cycle in 2022 that they expect Republicans to do well on. They're they're scared of of primaries, and you know this issue public, you know, is is linked to an interest group universe and a and a and a primary pattern that empowers the, these groups and scares legislators. And so, you know, I mean, I, I see Ross waiting, but I mean. You know, I think this really corresponds to what we're hearing into the the way Ross queued this up, which is, you know, the, you know, the gossip from inside the legislature to get to the to get right to the gossip, you know, is that, you know, this is one of those issues that we've seen, as you allude to, Darren, you know, year in and year out for as long as there's been a modern Texas legislature in which the failure, you know, internally is seen as the failure to suppress this kind of issue. And to, you know, and, and to not save legislators from having to take votes that in which they feel exposed either to a public that doesn't agree to them, with them or to a, you know, to a specific interest, interest that will, or issue public, as you put it, that will punish them in a primary in which you only need now, what, 800, you know, statewide right. You know, to win a statewide Republican primary, you need what eight hundred twenty thousand votes. That's probably your vote target, eight hundred fifty maybe. And you know, out of a state with sixteen, you know, and, and it's much smaller, sixteen, you know, sixteen seventeen million uh, eligible voters. Uh, I so I think all those things are are linked, it's, and that's what we see going on here and elsewhere. And I, 
I just said it's significantly less in a Republican primary in a, for a, like for state a, in, a, in a legislative primary. Right, that's exactly. Said, that's why I said yeah. statewide. Right, exactly. I mean, so that, that's the other piece of this. And I think the thing is to make the point, you know, it's not necessarily that the voters are going to turn on these members one way or the other. I mean, one thing we also know from polling is that, you know, most most Republicans think the U.S. would be a safer place if more people own guns. And in a lot of ways, this is a way to advance that. And I think, you know, the, the issue here is, you know, should those people be required to license those guns and get training? And that's where you start to get a little bit of pushback. The problem is, as a Republican legislator working on a bill like this, any sort of restrictions or further, you know, credentialing that you place in invites at the very least a primary challenger who's going to be, you know, quote unquote, more committed to these Second Amendment rights. So. Uh, at the same time, we were we were polling guns, we were polling police. One of the things that ties these together in an interesting way in the legislature is that a lot of, you know, police leaders and unions aren't crazy about the idea of everybody walking around with a gun unlicensed or unconcealed. And the legislature seems to be disregarding the police in some measure on that. At the same time, they're following the police pretty carefully, it looks like, in um, their consideration of you know various provisions of what's broadly been called police reform or the George Floyd Act, um, and you know uh, the back the blue effort is still uh, here in force I think, and the idea of defunding police is clearly unpopular with um, with Texas voters. Um, can you guys kind of walk through this? You know some of these provisions of these things, and then some of the politics of this. Why don't I walk through some of the provisions we tested and I'll let, I'll let the big boys talk about the politics a little more. <laughs> so, you know, overall there is, I mean, there's, there's broad and widespread, I think, support for, you know, some, some police reform, some more than others. I mean, ultimately, you know, the, the one that we tested that got the most support was requiring an officer to intervene when another officer is violating someone's constitutional rights with their use of force. That was supported by 86% of voters, 91% of Democrats, 86% of Republicans. That's, easy because I think people assume that police officers should already be doing this probably. Uh, you know, I would say what's also broadly very popular and kind of contrary to this is requiring local governments to hold elections if they want to reduce police budgets. So again, that was only 64-20 overall. There's more of a partisan split, but among Republicans, that's the second most popular issue. 83% of Republicans support this. Democrats are more split at 46-35. And then the other ones are a little bit, I would say, you know, popular and, you know, mostly uncontroversial. Banning chokeholds supported by 67% of Texans. The more co most complicated policy we test in a lot of ways has to do with qualified immunity. So allowing a civilian to sue a police officer if they violated their constitutional rights and their use of force, supported by 69% of Texans. Interestingly, in all this, and speaking to this sort of police, you know, sort of backing the blue, you know, 37% of Republicans oppose allowing civilians to sue police officers. 37% of Republicans uh, oppose banning the use of chokeholds. And so ultimately, I don't take this as, you know, I mean, there's a lot of interesting ways you could divide that stuff up and think about it. But, you know, ultimately, I think that goes back to the kind of back the blue rhetoric is that there's still a strong constituency of Republican voters who overall see the deaths, of, you know, that have been occurred among African Americans at the hands of police as isolated incidents. Uh, they have strongly favorable views of the police. And you can see that, you know, some, the idea of supporting, you know, better behavior, yes, limiting police, allowing for more recourse, it's a little bit more complicated. Yeah, I, in addition to those specific items, which are, you know, kind of drawn from this broader context, right, about, you know, criminal justice reform and, and how to respond appropriately to uh, challenges to policing, especially, you know, things that were revealed, probably known, but certainly revealed in kind of stark patterns after the 
the episodes in, in Minneapolis and other places last summer, um, we did ask these broad questions. Um, I think it's the third time we've asked a broad question about, uh, you know, thinking about police departments in your area. So there was an attempt in our frame to talk about how this is playing out at the local level. And we're finding, you know, that basically you're getting upwards of 70% who say leave funding the same or increase it, right? So about, you know, 30% say leave funding the same, 42% say leave f- increase funding. You're only getting, um, you know, on the order of, what was it? Uh, I think uh, 17% saying decrease, right? So, so th- you know, that's, that's something that we need to point out here, right? When it comes to local, you know, local policing in Texas, we're just, you know, the, the, People who think that defund the police is the wrong frame or message are correct. It's not that their policy, you know, not, not that the policy and moving to sh- social welfare and retraining the police. That's not, but but broadly speaking, there, I think people are right to be sensitive to talking uh, in, in those terms because there's just no sentiment for that. And I think Josh alluded to this second broad point that's also really important. So there, there's no appetite for taking away funding for the police among anybody. Just to just to right. make that clear. Yeah, exactly. But there is an absolute split um, over whether we think as Texans that these uh, that the deaths of African-Americans at the hands of police are systematic and, a, you know, a, or are they isolated incidents? And there's this strong partisan split, split an age split, right? I mean, we're right now at 45% say that those are mostly isolated incidents versus 47% say there are signals of broader problems with respect to the treatment of black people by the police. Uh, those two dominant attitudes frame the discussion of these particular reforms that we're talking about, right? That, you know, like Josh was saying, there's a broad sentiment to back the blue, but there is a, a, a very much a split in the public over, you know, is this just the consequence of, uh, you know, policing and even appropriate policing, or is this something that really, really needs to be dealt with at a systemic level? Yeah, and I think that speaks to the, the why you see the broadest support for requiring officer intervention. Ultimately, if you think exactly. that these incidents yeah. are, are just bad apples, well, then the good apples just need to step in and that needs to be a requirement. And that's why that's so popular. Jim, you got a take on this before we switch to another topic? Uh, yeah, I'll try to be quick. I, you know, I mean, my observation about this, I mean, I mean, what these guys have been saying and what the data show us is it, it shows ultimately from a policy perspective how damaging trying, you know, settling into one or the other of these frames is, which, and that's what, and, you know, that's sort of what's happening in the partisan universe. You know, uh, the public opinion here is actually fairly well nuanced when you take these things and put them together. You know, people are not unconditionally backing the blue. There's nobody that unconditionally backs the blue and there's nobody that unconditionally wants to defund the police. Yet these are the frames that these policy discussions, you know, get settled on and you can, you know, you watch any of the debates in the legislature and you hear these terms bandied, bandied about as a kind of inoculation by partisans and it's profoundly unhelpful. Um, well, talking about legislative debates, let's go to voting. Uh, we have a bunch of, you know, let, uh, let's, let's go to the Speaking next Speaking of fire. profoundly unhelpful rhetoric. The, yeah. the next burning dumpster here. Uh, we've got two pieces of legislation, the House and the Senate versions of this, that generally go in the same direction. And we pulled on some specific provisions of uh, these voting bills. Um, I always mix up the numbers. It's either House Bill 6 and Senate Bill 7, or Senate Bill 6 and House Bill 7. Um, but anyway. You got it but, right the first time, I think. Yeah. yeah. Okay, great. Um, acclamation. Um <laughs> 
So, um, I mean, it's interesting what voters are saying about this and, and how voters see it. And then again, you know, how the political framing works. Josh, you want to walk through the provisions here? Yeah, sure. I mean, the provisions that, you know, received the most uh, support across the electorate were the ones that you'd kind of expect, you know, keeping a paper record of all cast ballots is supported by 80% of voters, vast majority of Republicans and Democrats, making sure that voting machines aren't connected to, uh, in, you know, basically either an internal or external network was also very popular, 65% of voters overall, uh, including 84% of uh, Republicans, the plurality of Democrats. And we have sort of a middle area where it's a little bit more complicated, I, I would say, where we start to talk about, you know, no, so for example, prohibiting counties from sending out unrequested mail-in voting apps, mail-in mail -in ballots. And these are kind of having to, a lot to do with Harris County. You know, that's 5634, it's supported by 89% of Republicans, opposed by 67% of Democrats. Uh, you know, requiring, I don't have to go to all these actually, I'll just, but the more interesting one I would say is increasing poll watcher access, allowing them to record people they suspect of, of uh, wrongdoing it was 48 support, 38 opposed, supported by 71% of Republicans, opposed by 62% of Democrats. And then we get to the bottom of the list kind of, and these are the issues that we'd say is really just about ease of voting. So, you know, making it so the counties can't uh, engage in drive-through voting of any sort, opposed by a plurality of voters, 47 opposed, 42 support, limiting uh, early voting hours to no more than 12 hours during the last week, opposed by 47% of voters, a plurality, but again, by majorities of Republicans. And so, you know, what you tend to see is, is to some degree, again, actually a fair amount of nuance, you know, where there's a, you know, there's support for some of these sort of transparency, good government kind of measures, we should have paper records, we should, you know, record what's going on, should keep these off wireless networks a little bit more nuance around a lot of stuff that's really geared towards Harris County in particular. And then really, once you start to say, even to a lot of you know, Republicans, hey, but what if we just make it a little bit harder? <laughs> you know, what if we limit the number of hours? What if we limit the ways you can vote? Then you start to see, again, more nuance. And that's, that's I think, the, the sum total of the, the specific provisions. Jim, if you're a legislator, how are you looking at that? I mean, you know, you've got your you know, the leadership going in a particular direction, and these bills seem to be pretty powerfully supported on the Republican side. And then you've got this nuanced view from voters. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you, in the abstract, probably see the potential for a very pragmatic voting bill, you know, election reform bill that would pick and choose from these things. Um, but then, you know, you look at you look at public opinion, and I think, you know, you realize that it's going to be hard to actually put that together because there are, you know, every time you exclude any in almost any of the the kind of in the middle range of the of the measures that Josh was talking about, you wind up losing votes, and you know, you know that there's going to be a public outcry from one side or the other, um, you know, but for, you know about about what you've excluded. So it's a very tough, you know, it's a very tough issue, you know, even though on the surface, it looks like you ought to be able to hammer something out. Josh and I had an op-ed back in the fall kind of suggesting, you know, amidst all this distrust of the system, you could do a lot by passing a bill that trimmed out the things that were really highly alienated and built a few things and did some, you know, frankly, some old school log rolling on some of these things. And, but it's, it's, it's pretty hard to see that given 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 the mood in the legislature and the mood of the electorate and frankly the politics coming up that we've talked about already 
Yeah, and it's difficult given that we know from previous polling that ultimately this is a big issue, but it's an issue that is totally, is seen completely differently by Republicans from Democrats. So while we, well, you know, well, I think, you know, majorities of both, partisans on both sides would say, hey, we need to do something about elections in this country. Uh, for Republican voters, it's going to be about election integrity. And for Democratic voters, it's going to be about election access. And as Jim said, I mean, there's actually a lot you could do with that if both sides wanted to, um, you know, in terms of require, you know, think about strict ID requirements, but giving everybody an ID, for example. But, you know, that's really not the conversation we're having. And so, you know, we should expect the bill to come out to be pretty polarizing, I would think. Darren, you agree with all that? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm, I actually uh, have kind of a 30,000 foot view on this, which is I've been involved in a fairly significant amount of research that suggests that, uh, you know, there's, there's actually not a whole lot of voter fraud in the United States and that, uh, you know, we've, we've come off a couple of elections in which there have been massive outcries about voter suppression where we've broken records for turnout. Um, both sides have created self-fulfilling prophecy here, right? Where, uh, you know, Democrats are convinced that everything, uh, you know, that's uh, designed to uh, limit access is voter suppression and will hurt them. And Republicans have convinced themselves that every, you know, attempt to increase accessibility uh, and convenience is uh, a nefarious attempt to uh, vote illegally and it's going to, uh, you know, create democratic hordes of voters. And uh, there's actually not much evidence for either of those things. Um, in reality. And it, it's, it's a shame because as Josh and Jim have written about and have pointed out here, you could look at these, what is it we're testing here, seven different election reforms of one type or another. And for mm -hmm. four of them, and, and if you kind of expanded creatively on a couple of others, you could create half a dozen or so widely popular <laughs> reforms to elections that would help integrity and help access, but neither side seems, every, every side seems to be convinced here, each side seems to be convinced that uh, any change is a plot with partisan implications. And that's, that's a shame, I think. Before our uh, next topic, we've got two more TripCast sponsors. Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center, meeting the health care needs of almost 3 million people and helping to lead collaborative research. More at www.ttuhsc.edu slash healthcare. And... Listen to the new Raise Your Hand Texas podcast, Intersect Ed, where the stories of education policy and practice meet. Visit raiseyourhandtexas.org slash podcast. This is the first poll or the first anniversary poll on COVID. Last April, we um, jumped in to see what people were thinking at the beginning of, I guess we were at the beginning of the Texas restrictions um, when we went into the field. And we asked a lot of the same questions here and you can, you can track the changes, you know, over, over time. And, you know, I guess broadly speaking, it, it's clear that Texas is thawing out a little bit in their attitude, but they still take the coronavirus very, very seriously. Um, what do you guys think? What did you guys notice here? And what, what are you thinking about this? Well, I'll, I'll start a little bit. I mean, I, you know, we've been, you know, pretty excited among ourselves about the fact that, We've got this data set with, you know, five polls over the space of a year tracking this. And it's going to, you know, honestly, it's going to take us a while to really, I, to, for me anyway, I'm slow to, to figure out exactly what I think because there's a lot of data to look at and there's a lot of trend lines. Um, but, you know, clearly I think you're right. As of a couple of weeks ago, it's about a third of Texans reported living normally, which is up from about a quarter in February. Another 44% said they were going out in the world now, but, you know, but being careful. 
So about three quarters of folks say they're getting out one way or the other. And that's, you know, up from less than a third that said that at the outset of the pandemic in our first poll in April. So yeah, I mean, this really helps, helps us see what's going on in a very clear way. And I think, you know, the other thing that's interesting here that's of the moment is on vaccines and, you know, Texas attitudes on vaccines. You know, there's a lot you could do with this from the top view. You know, it's a real glass half full, glass half empty to me. On one hand, the share of people who are registering either resistance or reservations about getting vaccinated against COVID has declined a bit from nearly half in February to a little more than a third in April. And we're seeing evidence of success of some of the, the public campaigns among groups that were targeting reducing resistance. Um, young people, African-Americans, to some extent Republicans, but there's a half empty side. You know, as I said, we're still at about a third of people that are either, you know, and we can parse this resistant, reluctant, not interested, feel like they just don't need it. Um, that, and, and there's a big partisan gap in those people, 72% versus Democrats uh, versus 44% of Republicans in this sample say they've been vaccinated. Um, you know, and that's, that's still a pretty big chunk of people that are out there. And there's news today, I think about the fact that we, you know, the, the prediction now is that we probably won't reach herd immunity, right. uh, which has been the target all along. This bears directly on that. Yeah, just to pick up on what Jim's saying, I, you know, I give credit to my colleagues here for, and I would encourage people to go to, to the TRIB and to the UT websites to take a look at the, the particular um, activities that we've been testing consistently over time. Uh, everything from going to the grocery store, you know, kind of at the uh, permissible end of activities down to going to a bar or a club at the least permissible end. But you could see the variance over time. So just, just as a interesting one-year marker. At this point in April 2020, 63% of people said they were only leaving the residence when they absolutely had to. And that number's down to 21%, which is, you know, understandable given the way circumstances have changed it. But what, what a remarkable change over right. the course of a year. And just a, a small comment, if you look at all these activities, and I think we've got maybe, you know, 15 or so of them, there was, there's always been enormous variance in people's willingness to engage in some activities versus others. It's very interesting. I would encourage people to take a look at it. Um, and what you've seen over the last year is that um, I'm comparing here from June as opposed to April. So from June 20, uh, 2020 to April 2021, there's been a shift, varies a little bit by activity, but basically the activities haven't changed much in order in terms of how willing you are to do them. But there's been a shift of about 15 points or so, sometimes a little more, sometimes a little left in people's willingness to do those things. So we're 15 points more willing to do them now than we were a year ago. Um, I think that's really interesting. And about half of that change on average has come from February, 2021 to April, 2021, right? So I, I think that's, you know, it's, it's testimony to the vaccine and to all the progress we've made, but, but just looking that, uh, at those patterns, I think will be really interesting to people. And I would encourage everybody to take a look at them. Yeah, I thought it was striking that Republicans were willing generally to do any of these things. Uh, Democrats were less willing. Um, I think, I, I don't remember the exact number, but a majority of Republicans were willing to go to a bar and only they'll only find 11% of the Democrats when they get there. 
Um, I think that's why the Republicans are willing is the uh, belief that the Democrats won't be. Yeah, but nobody, but nobody related <laughs> numbers. That's exactly right. Nobody's going to be there to buy a round for everybody, though. <laughs> well, the gender differences make it make it an interesting proposition also. But <laughs> well, I also like the you know, as long as we're just ripping, I also like like the bar, you know, supermarket at the top bar at the bottom. And one of the one of the casualties of this has been those supermarkets where you can buy a beer while shopping. Can't do that anymore. And that's right. one of my huge injuries of this whole experience. Jim hasn't gone shopping in a year now. <laughs> <laughs> so what in this poll uh, stuck out to you guys, you know, that we haven't mentioned? Was there something, you know, we had a lot here. Um, there were, you know, 35 or 40 questions here. And there's a lot in it. And I would encourage people to go to either the Texas Politics Project site or the Texas Tribune and look at the look through the results and pour over the, the summaries and the crosstabs. But what stuck out to you guys? Darren, I'll let you start this. Uh, once again, with, with COVID, with the, uh, the failure of the power grid and, and the energy situation we had in the spring, we asked people, what's the, uh, what's the problem that you want the Texas legislature most to address? And immigration border security is 36%. The next highest scoring issue is COVID at 12, followed by energy power grid 12, jobs economy at eight. So in other words, if you add the economy the energy power grid uh, responses in COVID-19, collectively, they equal border security and immigration, which just astonishes me. We also have some items in there buried a little deeper into the poll about people's uh, attitudes towards um, what we should do to unaccompanied with unaccompanied minors. And there's a tremendous split in opinion on that. Uh, we asked a question we've been asking for, for years now about uh, whether uh, people who are here without documentation should be repatriated. And, you know, there's significant sentiment for that, but a lot of nuance in that opinion. Um, and I would just suggest, you know, as, as we're talking about heading into 2022, take those uh, immigration border security salience numbers and then look at do you approve or disapprove how Joe Biden has handled immigration and border security, where he's currently sitting at 23% approve and 59% disapprove. So while I agree, you know, all the national numbers show that the president is doing pretty well on some important issues. That issue in some of these states is, a, it, it, I, I think, is is probably worth a little more attention than it's getting. It's it's not just a a nick; it's a potential Achilles' heel here moving into the election season. Jim, what do you see? Well, you know, I don't know if this is the most interesting thing, but it's a it's an interesting thing from the legislative perspective and something we haven't talked about. We did a we we had a battery on the the February winter storm blackouts and legislative proposals to address them, and there's an interesting disjuncture here, you know, for my friends in the legislature. Um, on one hand, the, the the you know we gave people a list of proposals being discussed in the legislature. The you know the most popular one or the one that had the strongest support is one of the ones that they're really emphasizing, and that's you know, pushing or requiring more weatherization. Uh, there's a bill on the floor of the house yesterday to create uh, an entity kind of modeled on the water fund to help fund this, uh, to fund these kinds of measures so that the legislature doesn't have to pay for them per se. Um, it's more of a, of a financing uh, proposal. Um, and, the other, and the other one that's very popular, you know, less policy relevant, but interesting from the Texas perspective, is requiring ERCOT board members to be from Texas because there was a, you know, I would say it was kind of a red herring at the time, but nonetheless, in the one of the first things that everybody said was that it was a bunch of foreigners 
that we're responsible for ERCOT and and if you consider people. Michigan's for Michiganders yes. foreigners, I guess, right? which, which we don't do. you Ross? Yeah, <laughs> well, I do, <laughs> which actually, we yeah. do. Um, and so, you know, the legislature is doing things right now that the public, at least to the extent at that level of generality and, and policy specificity approve of. On the other hand, only 17 percent uh, in our sample said that they were very or extremely confident that the legislature would be effective in preventing future problems. So there's a, you know, and this comes as, you know, our numbers show us that, you know, of course, only 10% of the, the samples say they're, they're following the, they're paying close attention to the legislature, extremely close attention to the legislature. So, uh, you know, as much as we, you know, we've had, you know, we have in this conversation, we've talked a bit about, you know, how responsive the legislature is, how, how does what they're doing match what, you know, what the public wants? Well, you know, it, Public expectations are pretty low, and they're not paying very much attention. So it's a it's an interesting position when it comes to this matter that was front and center, and obviously affected, you know, something like you know I think I think that the number I saw recently was that you know more than seventy percent of the the ERCOT grid people in the ERCOT grid experience blackouts. So people are the the, the power outages. People are thinking about this, but the linkage with the legislature and the tension is 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 very tentative. Josh, I'll let you close. What do you see in the poll here? You know, I think what was kind of really interesting about this poll in a lot of ways, and part of it is the point in time of all this and sort of how the Republican Party is moving forward from Trump. And you see it, you know, I think in, in really interesting ways during the session. You know, one sort of pair of results that kind of made my head explode a little bit, and I'm still trying to sort of just think about, is, you know, it has to do with the Republican Party's orientation towards both, you know, constitutional rights on the one hand, and lawsuit reform on the other. And so what we found in this poll is that there are more Texas Republicans, 66%, who would allow anyone in the state the ability to sue any abortion provider based on their own suspicions in their heads. That's 14 points more than the share of Republicans who would support allowing you or your family members to sue a police officer who has violated your constitutional rights physically. I just, I'm just putting that out there. I just think that's sort of a shocking and interesting intersection of results. I don't expect people to be consistent, but it's super interesting. I'll just throw out one more just because I've been here for a while now. And this one was really interesting, which is, you know, we've had a decades plus long discussion about Texas's uninsured population. It's been ramped up even more so with COVID. Only 10% of people say that they have heard a lot about, you know, basically the state's decision not to expand Medicaid under the Affordable Care Act. But when we ask about whether we should expand Medicaid eligibility to find, you know, who, who gets Medicaid benefits, 55% of Texans support it. What was surprising to me was that a third of Republicans, 32% supported it. And when I, you know, got here and started doing this 10 years ago and Rick Perry was talking about, uh, you know, Medicaid, it was such a dirty word. And that was kind of the assumption was there's no way Texas would ever do anything to expand Medicaid any further. You know, it was a quote, failed program. It was an unfunded mandate. It would bankrupt the state. And yet here we are 10 years later, and you know, it's not that controversial an idea. And it's surprisingly more popular among Republicans than I would have thought. That's all the time we have. There's plenty to look at on Texas Politics Project website and on the Texas Tribune website. Thanks to Spoon for our theme music and to the University of Texas at Arlington. Visit Fort Worth, Texas Tech University Health Sciences Center, Raise Your Hand, Texas, our sponsors this week. On behalf of Josh, Jim, Darren, and our producer, Justin, this is Ross. Thanks for listening.